0: Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the ANWA Deterrence Center. Our host is Dr. Adam Laufer, co-founder and vice president for research at the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. The ANWA Deterrence Center is a 501c3 organization ensuring a broader understanding of the nation's strategic nuclear deterrent and its ongoing modernization. Thank you for listening and welcome to the show. The views of the host and the guests are their own. Welcome back to another great episode of Cast. Of course, as always, I am your host, Adam Lowther. Now, by the time you hear this podcast, I'm sure today is is December the 4th, so our podcasts usually take a few weeks before they're actually aired. Uh, But uh, I doubt Alabama will have won the national title by then. But uh, as of yesterday, they made it to the... uh, College football playoffs, so I want to give my Crimson Tide a good roll tide. Uh, now, of course, our guest today is Tyler Hamilton, and Tyler is a future systems engineer at the Ares Corporation, supporting the Artemis program. But that's not actually why Tyler is with us today. He's actually with us because he spent the last decade as a ICBM maintainer and he's, we we wanted to have him on because we, you know, we have a lot of senior Air Force officers and we've talked a lot about education, workforce management, but we've never really talked from the enlisted perspective. And with Tyler recently leaving the Air Force, uh, we thought we'd have him on to talk about that decade that he spent in the Air Force, out in the missile fields, maintaining the actual weapon. And that perspective, so that for you, the listeners, many of you who are pretty senior in the profession can perhaps better understand that enlisted perspective. So, with that, Tyler, welcome to Nuclecast.
1: Thank you, sir. I appreciate uh, the platform and the opportunity to talk with you today.
0: So, let's. Let's sort of talk about, so if you're a missile maintainer and you're, you know, you've got the the missile field is what, more than 50,000 square miles. It's a big place and you're out there actively driving around to uh, LFs and you're maintaining missiles, you're fixing, repairing, replacing, doing all of that. So from your perspective, how did you see deterrence and this larger mission that you and, you know, the, the missile cops and all the other enlisted folks that made this mission possible.
1: How did y'all see deterrence? So deterrence was explained when we first started school. Um, and you understand the concept of it. And then you finish your schooling, you head up to your base up North. And uh, then it's just kind of a uh, nonstop with the mission where you're, You're told that, hey, uh, Alpha 9 has an MGS, a missile guidance system that's down. Go fix it. And that's about the extent of your understanding of why. Because you don't really uh, get briefed on why things are such high priorities or anything like that. It isn't until I was about five years into my Air Force career that I was extended the opportunities to go to some EWO briefings. And uh, some other PME along those lines to get a better understanding of what deterrence is and how we work together with not only us within the missile maintenance squadron, but then the other wings, the, uh, the Navy, the other parts of the bombers, which we never even saw being at F.E. Warren. Um, you get a, a bigger understanding of what it means to be a part of it and kind of what our role in deterrence is. So. That's at least from what our perspective was.
0: Now, from my, you know, my time as a Air Force professor within the professional military education. So when we say PME, professional military education, from my time in that system, I remember doing a study where we looked at the amount of time within an officer's career that they would go through, you know, Air Command and Staff, War College. Uh, you know, uh, squadron officer school, all of these educational opportunities. And then we looked at, uh, PME enlisted PME. And then we also looked at, you know, civilian PME for air force civil servants and the the amount of time that an officer will go through school is about eight to 10 times, you know, across that 20 to 25 year career, they'll spend about eight times more time in school Than the enlisted will, and about ten times more than, you know, the average civil servant will, and so I guess my question for you is: Was the PME for the enlisted force adequate or inadequate? And particularly when it comes to this really important sort of cultural aspect of, you know, bluing. You, the, you know, as a guy who's out there doing the mission tour, you said, Hey man, what I'm doing is really important. And I, you know, I see the, why I'm sacrificing. Was that something that you, that, you know, your squadron commander did? Was it a function of PME? You know, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So on the enlisted side, I feel like it was inadequate. Um, I feel like uh, there was only a few opportunities for a select few people to actually get those opportunities uh, or to get those chances to even uh, go to, the, to such places. Um, you really just, uh, the squadron commanders are there to kind of explain to you just how important everything is, but I mean, from from my career, the first time I even got a real showing of how important uh, ICBMs were was in 2016 when I was given the chance to do a, a flight test out at Vandenberg and I got to see an actual ICBM go off that I put together for the first time. And then uh, it wasn't until later on in my career when I got opportunities to learn more uh, at Lawrence Livermore. And then I eventually got to go to the, the district college and the uh, Air Force Nuclear Weapons College in Kirkland. Um, but it's, it's tough because uh, mission demands are so strict and especially with uh, the two mo field were uh, we've always been kind of uh, struggling when it came to uh, Manning, so it's hard to let go of those bodies to give them the chances to go to those types of schools.
0: So if you were, well, I'll, I'll save this question for when Bob shows up, but uh, you haven't met Bob yet, but you'll meet Bob near the end. But if you think about, you know, what what you were able to do versus what the average maintainer, cop, you know, other enlisted force that are out in the missile fields is able to do the, the opportunities that you had like to go to, you know, Nuke 200, for example, would you say that was common or uncommon? And was there a appetite amongst your fellow airmen to go do that kind of stuff? And then, You know, my follow on question is once you did it, would you say if you were acting, you know, on behalf of the Air Force and evaluating the utility of spending that time and money pulling you out of your daily job, was it worth it? And would it be worth it for others to go do those kinds of week long trainings or, you know, go to the DITRA, you know, Defense Nuclear Weapons School for courses? Uh, What's your take on that?
1: So to the first question, I would say uncommon, uh, for, for the, the example, uh, a course like nuclear 200, um, but very much sought after by everyone within the community, just for the opportunity to go to, uh, Kirkland and be a part of that course. Um, and the second one, if it was up to me, I would be, you know, obviously trying to keep the mission going, but understanding because after I'd left there and was able to learn and, uh, Experienced that I it it almost (laughs) I would say almost because I still ended up separating it almost reblued me because of the and made me uh, really appreciate uh, what I do. Um, So if 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 given the opportunity, I would be pushing as much as I could to get people out there to do that type of stuff.
0: Now that sort of brings because
1: it's not uh, it's uh, it's it's knowledge that the enlisted yeah don't get. Sorry,
0: that that's a it's it's a good point. It's a valid point now. You, you sort of brought this up, so I want to pull on this thread a little bit more, and that is this idea of, you know, it's it's a topic across the entire, not just the Air Force, but the DOE, and this is the idea of bringing people in and then keeping them. And so as we've talked to, to DOE folks and we look at the labs and elsewhere, the labs have a, you know, the question was, can we bring enough scientists in and then can we keep them? And we've seen that they're getting out at about the six year mark. They'll come into DOE, they'll go to Sandia or Livermore Los Alamos or wherever. And then they, they sort of leave after they've got about six years of experience. Now for you, you stayed in for a decade and then you made the choice to leave. So if we want to talk about retention. Because for the Air Force, it's, you know, the Air Force needs, it's a skilled, high skill job that needs lots of guys who, and gals who stay in and make a career of it. That's sort of the ideal for the Air Force is to keep everybody for, you know, 20 years, whether it's pilots or, you know, missile maintenance, it doesn't really matter. You need those folks to come in, gain the skills. Gain proficiency and then progress throughout a career. But for those who are getting out, talk to me about what makes you make that decision.
1: So it it wasn't initially when I enlisted. I was kind of in the the, pro, the thought process that I was just going to do my time and uh, get out after. Um, but being deep into it for a couple years, I kind of realized how much I did love it. Uh, I, even though how much, how tough it was and how cold and everything it was in Wyoming. Um, but at the end of the day, um, those, uh, this, this job's tough on the individual, uh, not only mentally and emotionally, but especially physically. Um, so, uh, I've been beaten up over the last 10 years and, uh, stolen my wife away from her family for the last 10 years. So I thought, uh, as much as I would have loved to stay in and keep uh, contributing to the missile maiden submission, I needed to put my family first. So that was kind of where my head was at with everything.
0: Now, for you know many of your colleagues and you know the airmen out there, uh, would you say that this idea of you know that the challenge because the you know the the wings at Mynod and Malmstrom and Effie Warren, they're fairly remote. And they're, you know, they're not near large tropical cities. Would you say that that sort of cha- that challenge and the remoteness challenge is is what makes people decide, hey, this is putting the etch- extra stress on my family, or would you say that there are, you know, other reasons for that make people decide? you know, to leave, what would sort of, what would be the, you know, as you talk to your fellow airmen, what would be the main reasons they say that they want to leave?
1: So that remoteness is definitely a big factor cause, just because they're like you, like you stated, they're, they're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, the two other things that I saw that were big um, ter- uh, factors that made people decide to separate were one um, the work and the kind of uh, the sense of fulfillment from the job. Just because you look at any uh, crew chief or anybody else in maintenance, right? You get to you you work all day, you you sweat, blood, tears all over this plane, and then you get to see that the, the fruits of your labor fly off. Uh, with us, you you don't see that, right? You you drive three hours to a site. Uh, you work out there for 12 hours and then you drive all the way home and it just sits there. So you, uh, it could, you just in your head, you're like, Oh, I, it could go. It couldn't. And then you don't really get to see that. I was lucky enough that I got the opportunity to do that test flight uh, in Vandenberg and then see the, my work, what I did while I was out there actually is launching now. Um, but yeah, I think that would be uh one of the uh, biggest ones, or the two, really, the, the area, or are, the areas are not great, and uh, that uh, job satisfaction.
0: This episode of Nucleocast is brought to you by the AMLA Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. So we've had on a previous issue, we had the, the, uh, deputy wing commanders for the missile wing and the bomber wing at Minot were on the show and talked a lot about the efforts that they're undertaking to make those places attractive to live. And, and for you, and, and, you know, I remember I was a young enlisted guy On board the USS Ramage in Norfolk, Virginia. And, uh, you know, for, for me as a young guy, fresh out of high school, you know, wanting to see the world and travel and, and the challenge was there's a, I saw a poll that consistently Norfolk, Virginia has been the best place in America. If you are a single woman looking for a spouse. Because the ratio of men to women is like six men to one woman, and so what that means is, if you're a young, if you're a young sailor who may want to build a family and and all of that, it, it's a really bad place to be. And so, as you think about the wings, and you know, my not Malmstrom and Effie Warren and a lot of, uh, a lot of young guys that are going up there, it's their first assignment, you know, they're, they're young, they're 19, 20, 21 years old, and they want to do the normal things that, that young guys do. Is the Air Force making a, a, you know, a strong effort, the best effort they can, you know, because, you know, these choices were made back in the 1950s and 60s, and, you know, for very good strategic reasons to put these missiles where they are. And, you know, so then the air force has to build the base and then build the culture in a community, given those, you know, strategically chosen restraints is the air force doing what it can and should. And, and the local communities, cause Minot has a very strong, you know, community effort to try to work with the base and make things as good as possible. So w- sort of as you've spent that decade you know, in the missile wings, what, what, what would you say about that effort and, you know, what might could be done better or differently?
1: No, I would, uh, 100% agree that the, the wings do a great job in trying to make the best, uh, of a, of a kind of a bad situation. You know, I, when I was a instructor in Vandenberg, you, uh, you have these kids come in straight out of basic training, and then they see the list of the the spots that they can go, and it, uh, it it's not great. Um, but uh, we try to, you know, uh, let them know, hey, there's, there's a lot to do out there, and the bases make that known as well. And especially, uh, I'll give, as much as I don't want to do this, I'll give credit to Minot, um, just because every uh, person I've met from Minot just uh, is – Trying to get back there just because of the culture and everything they built there and how uh, how tight knit the community was. Um, so some do it better than others, but I, I will say the Air Force uh, does do a good job in trying to build that sense of community, build that culture um, to make uh, to make you have somewhat of an enjoyable time in those uh, at those bases.
0: And then, so if if you were you know if you were the one a dis, you know decision maker what would you do differently
1: what i would do differently is uh something they did for the security forces members uh up north at those bases would uh was put what is called a code 50 a mandatory mover on them um just so uh they can get out of the base after a couple of years uh bringing something like that and giving more opportunities for the people within the, the ICBM community, the ability to move around and see other things would be great. Um, my first boss at F.E. Warren was at F.E. Warren for 22 years. Uh, another boss I had was there for 12, and then I was there for seven. It's it's hard to leave sometimes. So I think that would be something that I would want to try and uh, just get them uh, the ability to go see other bases, see other, uh, see other opportunities.
0: Now let's go back to the question of uh, PME, uh, and one of the things you had said earlier in the conversation was that after going to Nuke Two Hundred, you were almost reblued and decided to stay, and so that leads me to believe that the kind of education, almost. yeah, almost, but that the kind of that kind of education does work, <laughs> and it, it's you know it's it's successful. So would you say that? that you'd, I, you know, you'd like to see the enlisted force go to more PME, but I guess my question is, is if you were being strategic about the utilization of PME, would you send, you know, an airman basic, would you send somebody as soon as they, they become an NCO? Do you think it needs to be later in their career? How would you, if you could sort of plan out, you know, sending the enlisted force to these kinds of PME opportunities, what would guidance would you give, you know, air university and, you know, AETC if they were listening to this podcast and wanted to know how they could do it better?
1: I think strategically, uh, say you have a young airman, um, you're looking to send them to those opportunities when enlistment's coming up, you know, it's coming close to, to try and, uh, make them realize how, uh, how big of a role they play in all this. And then with everyone else, I think, uh, at least every other year you should be going and learning something new, um, or learning something. Uh, I had plenty of, uh, friends who got the opportunity to go spend some time on subs, seeing the other parts of the triad. Uh, but yeah, I would, uh, try and get it, I mean, as much as possible, but.
0: (laughs) And, and so there's no specific sort of, you know, after it's, but prior to, you know, your enlistment coming up because that would be a great time to re blue. Somebody is prior (laughs) to them having to make the decision of stay or go. Uh, so that, that's, you know, that's sort of a, you know, a wise and, and, you know, easily verifiable kind of point. But is there, <laughs> is there any other sort of advice you would offer for AETC, Air Education Training Command, uh, Air University? Uh, what, you know, if you, for you to come on the podcast, this is kind of your big opportunity to talk to a, a you know a much larger audience about your air force experience and i wonder what sage advice that could be useful and helpful to the air force would you would you offer them because the air force like you know the army and the navy are they're they're having recruiting challenges and retention is always you know it's it's always an issue so what what advice would you give that could could potentially help
1: I think the advice that I would give would be give the enlisted more chances to learn or try and find a way to give us as as many opportunities as as officers got when it came to learning more about the system and learning more about our role within deterrence and everything like that. um, It just always felt like whenever those opportunities came up, uh, enlisted were uh, the last ones to fill those slots were the the CGOs and everything like that were the first ones to go, um, because those 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 opportunities to go and see more, from what I've seen in my experience, is what has brought people back from getting out. They they see uh, just how important everything is, and uh, they are reblued in an air force, uh, sense, uh, to want to keep contributing to that mission. Um, so that's, uh, luckily I worked in ATC for the last couple of years. So I've given uh, plenty of my thoughts to them. Um, but that would be mine is just more, more chances.
0: Now, you know, general Huser, the 20th air force commander, she's a friend of the show and she, you know, she's been on before and, and I wonder if 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 she were listening right now and you know she's listening and she's like okay so I gotta send try to send more enlisted folks to these courses send them before their enlistments are up uh so she knows when to do it but this issue of family what would you offer to her as sage advice for because this this issue of family is one that a lot of people that's a You know, it's one of the key drivers for why people don't stay is they, you know, the, the pressures and the strains on family, how, how, is there a way she could alleviate some of that, that strain and, you know, what would, you know, what potentially would have made you stay?
1: I don't, I don't know if I really have an answer for her, uh, with, the job that I did, we were home every single night. Um, didn't really have the, to worry about deploying or anything like that. Um, the, the thing that just drove people to make that decision was just being out there and there's nothing we can do um, sadly about the locations of the bases. Um, so I really don't have an answer Um to that question in particular for uh Colonel Huser, who uh uh was my former wing commander at Effie, so I d- am familiar with her. Uh, but yeah.
0: Now let's switch to so now
1: you Or General Huser. I my apologize. <laughs> she
0: was the she was Colonel Huser whenever she was your wing commander. So we we understand <laughs> where you're coming from. Yeah Now when for, I why not? for uh yeah. So when you made the decision to get out, you participated in the SkillBridge program, which is something we've never talked about on NucleCast. Can you tell the audience what SkillBridge is? And is it a good thing, a bad thing? Does it work? Does it not work?
1: So SkillBridge is a program where a uh, member of the armed services is allowed to leave uh, up to 180 days early from when their DOS is and participate in a unpaid internship uh with a vetted company through uh so they they go through the process uh, of applying uh through the DOD and uh you're able to go work there um as an unpaid intern and um no i thought it was uh, great uh the Aries corporation had reached out to me uh, because of my experience with aerospace and then also uh, my experience with training development uh, working as an ATC uh, instructor and had brought me on originally to be a training development uh, intern with them and eventually moved me over to uh, NASA's future systems project office to help as an integration over, engineer over there. And it was uh if, anybody is on the fence about getting out of the military i would highly recommend it um it was a great program got me to where i am today so i have nothing but good things to say about it
0: now we're at that point in the show where i want to bring out my good friend bob so bob is my magic genie and if i rub my lamp bob pops out and bob grants three wishes to all nucleicast guests now the wishes have to be related to the topics we've been discussing today he he doesn't grant wealth or prosperity or anything like that only <laughs> only what we talk yeah. about so if we were to you know bob gives you your three wishes about our topics today what would be wish number one
1: uh wish number one would be the missile wings were closer to a beach
0: now that's a big wish (laughs) yeah it's uh the the proximity uh it's cold up there it it does get cold see fortunately for me i like that i like cold weather so it's it's never bothered me and i grew up on the gulf coast and i always hated the heat and humidity so i've always looked to move further north but that may not be for everybody so that's wish number one Uh, that, that's one, you know, I think many, many, uh, missile maintenance and, you know, missileers and, you know, bomber guys would, they'd all have that, but wish number two, what would that
1: be? Wish number two, uh, would be, uh, like we talked about earlier, more of those opportunities for enlisted men and women to go learn more about the system that we work on. Um, they, they come by, but, uh, there's, there's never enough money or there's never enough slots for everybody to get the opportunity to. So that would be my second wish is for everybody to get those, those chances.
0: Okay. That's another good wish. More enlisted PME. Now, how about wish number three?
1: (sighs) Not sure yet put me on the spot here uh wish number three uh i'm gonna go with uh michigan beating alabama in the national championship (laughs) because i couldn't think of anything else all right (laughs)
0: well you know there are people who love to hate the crimson tide so i won't take it personally (laughs) Uh, well tyler thanks for uh my
1: sister goes to georgia so she's quite devastated
0: yeah, she's uh, she's probably a little disappointed after Saturday's game. Uh, well, thanks for thanks for coming on Nuclecast. Uh, we appreciate it. It was, it was really our first opportunity to, you know, to get an enlisted perspective and and to talk through some of what, you know, what the enlisted force, the the majority of the Air Force, what the enlisted force is thinking about, and particularly as we talk about the missile fields and the challenges and in daily life and work in, in those environments. So thanks for coming on NucleCast. To talk with us about that.
1: No, I appreciate it. Uh, any opportunity I can have to speak highly of uh, the men and women that I worked with up there, I'm always going to take that chance and uh, appreciate the time.
0: And thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us on this episode of Nuclecast. And we'll see you on the next episode. Well, I had an interesting time talking with Tyler. It was, you know, it's always interesting to hear the perspectives of folks you don't always talk to. And we generally don't talk to the enlisted force for nuclear cast you know we generally talk to senior leaders and get their perspectives and takes on things but really when it comes down to it the you know the nuclear mission depends upon maintainers and cops and you know this you know all of the 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 supply force and it, it, there's all of these folks doing all of this work in the background that we often don't really i mean we don't think about they're they they do not get you know, all the glory. And so it was good to talk to, to Tyler and sort of hear his perspective on, you know, why, what he liked about his job, what he wished he had more of and, and why he left. So hopefully for you, if you're in a, you as a listener in a position to influence that you've at least got one more data point that you can, you know, take into account and make things better for the air force.
1: This has been a production of the ANWA Deterrent Center, a 501c3 that seeks to educate key
0: decision makers, stakeholders, and the public to ensure a broader understanding of the nation's strategic nuclear deterrent. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Krumpal. Help us grow our followers by sharing it and follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at NuclearCast.